It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Welcome back to Information Operation. We're proud to have uh, General Michael Flynn with us today, and he's going to discuss, at our request, some geopolitical 30,000-foot uh, views of what's happening around the world, because a lot of it is very confusing. Welcome to the show, sir. Appreciate it, Todd. It's great to, uh, to see you again, and uh, appreciate uh, everything that you uh, are out there talking about these days especially the audience that you have, you know, on this uh, kind of a Veterans Week, Veterans Month, maybe. Yeah. Uh, coming into Veterans Day, you know, is a lot going on in the world. And uh, anybody that served our country or continues to serve our country, and, you know, particularly in the military, you know, I'm always, always honored to talk to that kind of a group of people. Well, thank you very much. Um, and I'm sure you'll be well received. So, Look, I mean, there's a lot of confusion going on. Ukraine was, uh, in my opinion, pushed for the wrong reasons. I mean, the, the U.S. military seems to be fighting for the, to the last Ukrainian in Ukraine. And uh, now we're coming. The chickens are coming home to roost. A lot of the uh, I think the average age of the Ukrainian soldiers now is 43. I was told this morning they're pulling people below 18 to go into the ranks because there's just not that many people left to fight. And then you have what's happening in, in Gaza, uh, which to me is is uh, interesting and needs to be delved into exactly how it started. What, what are your thoughts on this overall general situation we find ourselves in? Well, I mean, you know, God, where do you start? You know, yeah. the Ukrainian, so, so the European problem goes back to the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War and the... Uh, and the conversation and, frankly, the decision-making done by, I think it was Thatcher, Bush, uh, Gorbachev, and, uh, and Mitterrand, I think, or maybe it was, uh, I, forget, I forget, the German chancellor at the time, 1992, I believe. Maybe Cole. They, I don't remember. Huh? Yeah. Maybe Cole. Yeah, maybe Cole. Yeah. Um, at the time... You know, they agreed that there would not be any further expansion of NATO. And there was also some talk about potentially Russia becoming part of that alliance, maybe not necessarily a, a direct partner, but certainly, you know, to have some sort of partnership role 
And in fact, the United States of America, because I participated in these things, we, we had this thing called Partners for Peace, right, which were mm-hmm. exchanges of, of military, uh, military to military exchanges. We had, you know, the 82nd Airborne Division doing, doing airborne operations over in Ukraine. I mean, we had all kinds of, you know, sort of things that we called peace dividends, right? Mm-hmm. And now here we are, fast forward, whatever that is now, 30-something years later, and and uh, and we are uh, we're at the tail end of what is a continuing losing war. Okay, so the war in Ukraine didn't start uh, a couple of years ago. The war in Ukraine, really, if you really want to put a fine point on it, it started at the end of the Cold War. Okay, mm-hmm. with the with the uh, the incursion. I think at that time we had probably sixteen countries in NATO, and now we. Now we have, uh, I don't even know what the number is today. It's probably 27, 28, maybe. Yeah, I think and, and you're now yeah. budding up, you're now abutting up to the Russian Federation. So decisions that were made by nations, by leaders of nations at that time in the, in the early 90s have all been violated. Okay, that's number one. Number two, in 2014, right after the Sochi Olympics, the Russians attacked, while, while President Obama was the president, the Russians attacked uh, the, the two Eastern Donbasses in Crimea, because they, they, they saw enormous weakness in the United States of America. We were so tied down in places like Afghanistan, Iraq, mm-hmm. and elsewhere on the global war on terror. And we were, we were not uh, succeeding in those at all at that time. So, so Russia and, and under Putin took the advantage to, to jump into those two Eastern Donbasses in Crimea. And then all of a sudden you have a guy like Trump comes on, comes on the scene, he's able to like, okay, you know, we're, we're not going to continue with this. We're going to show some strength here. And he, he did some things that, that showed that there was a consequence for an action. And he did it not necessarily in Eastern Europe, but he did it in other parts of the world where when he demonstrated that there was a consequence for a negative behavior, that, that makes the world leaders take a step back. And now we come back into another administration, another administration immediately demonstrates weakness, you know, not just with the with the uh, surrender and retreat in Afghanistan, you know, going on two and a half years now, almost two and a half years, right? August, right. I guess it was two years, you know, so the level, the amount of weakness that we have demonstrated, you know, that's why we have the problems that we have in Ukraine. Now, the war in Ukraine, I've been I've been talking about this from the from the beginning, now, even in 2014, where you know some of the some of the issues I got into while I was still in in uniform at the Defense right. Intelligence Agency, you know, th- th- this is a loser, and it's always been a loser, and and unless unless we want to go to a world war, you know, three uh, in Europe, it it has been a loser from the beginning, and we have been saying that there have been those of us that have been standing our ground and saying that, and guess what? Guess what, Todd? It's a You're loser. Right. It's a a total loser. We have spent enormous resources that we don't have. We don't, you know, we, the, the Ukrainian uh, military and the, and the Ukrainian uh, uh, political leadership, they're frankly fascists. They've shut down all journalists, all, all the independent journalists over there. They've shut down the churches and they're basically fighting a, a, uh, you know, what I would say is a, is a sort of a strategic defense. If you want to put a, if you want to put a military term on it, that's that has been a loser from the beginning. There has been no victories by the Ukrainian military from the beginning, and and Russia has been able to maintain essentially what Putin stated at the very beginning in in uh, 
a couple of years ago where he said this is a war of limited objectives. And those limited objectives were to basically hold on to what he had and to demonstrate that we are not going to put up with this, uh, this guy named Zelensky. Now, all that said, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we're going to find out, I actually think that we're going to find out that Putin and Zelensky have been working together. Now, this is total speculation. I don't have any evidence of this. I'm just as in my you know analytic brain and as yeah. I put my my feet into the boots of our enemies for many, many years, Todd, you know, and try to imagine the kind of scenarios that I can imagine, because that's the world of, of uh, certainly of a military intelligence officer, a good one, that I actually have a sense that Putin and Zelensky have been playing us like a cheap fiddle. And, and, uh, and, and look at what we have done, right? Look at what we have provided. Look at the resources that we have invested and look at what it has done to the United States of America, right? We're in a much, much weakened position right now at home. Probably the weakest position we have been in, you know, and I, and definitely in my lifetime. And I think historically I can't, I can't put a, um, I can't, you know, see something historically from the very beginning of our country where we have been in this kind of a weakened position, especially with the, the you know, the overemployment of resources overseas, the, the, the debt that we have and all of the challenges that we have right here in the homeland with, with this illegal invasion and, uh, and drug problems and crime and, you know, you name it. So all of those things aside, the, the war that has been taking place in Eastern Europe, principally in Ukraine, has been a loser from the beginning, we have never had, not once, not once, we've never had this, this current president of the United States, Joe Biden, not once has he st stood up and given a State of the Union and said, here are the three objectives that we are trying to achieve in, the, in Ukraine to, in order to defeat Russia. We, we've never heard that. We haven't had any, any definition of vital national security interests. We've never really had any clear clearly articulated uh, uh, objectives outlined as to what it is that we, you know, and I mean clear objectives. I mean objectives that are achievable, uh, you know, winnable, and, 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 and have some sort of end game, have some sort of end state, right? We've never had that. I, if, you, if, you, if, if I'm mistaken, please let me know. And, no, you're right. You're right. Are. And we agree so, with you on Zelensky, by the way. We think your mock is a is closest, is probably his lover, but also is probably working for Russia. But go ahead. Yeah, and so and so if if we're right about that, Todd, if we're right that we're being played by in this in this very geo strategic geopolitical game that Putin is actually a master at, you know, for for these kinds of of things, because at the end of the day, if 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 Putin is is working uh, and using using Zelensky, and Zelensky is you know sort of his puppet, and they're and they're working together to do what? What would be the 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 goal that they would be trying to achieve? Well, what they're what they would be trying to achieve is let's continue to have the United States of America pouring you know good money after bad money. Let's continue to have them pay our you know pay us right. I mean, let's continue to have our gigantic yachts in Monaco that many oligarchs from from Russia and Ukraine have sitting in in the uh, in the in the, the Bay of Monaco. And I'm telling you, I've seen them yeah. that when you think about that kind of stuff, you know, and all. And so what is it doing? It's weakening the United States of America, you know, because now let's let's jump from there, Todd, and let's go to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Right. 
because now we're back in the Middle East, you know, in a, in a different way with a different nature. You know, the nature of this war is vastly different than the nature of the war that we had in Afghanistan or Iraq. Okay. Totally, totally different. And you have to always be very clear on what's the true nature of the war that you're in. You have to clearly define the various adversaries. You have to understand, you know, the objectives of, of either side. You have to understand all the strengths and weaknesses and capabilities and capacity that you have. You have to think about all those types of things for the enemy that you have. You have to also look at everything in this particular case in the Middle East. You've got to go back in history, in culture, in attitudes, in the demographics, in the dynamics, and, and then, of course, the relationships that exist, right? Never mind, you know, it's, it's not just about, you know, bad Iran, right, it, and, 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 the, and the terrorist organization Hamas. There's a lot of things that that uh, have been playing out for many, many years. And frankly, I don't think that the Palestinian problem is, is uh, Israeli's problem, is a, is a Jewish problem. I think the Palestinian problem should be an Arab problem. I think exactly. the Palestinian problem ought to be Egypt's problem. It ought to be the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It ought to be the, you know, the, the Emir of Oman, the, you know, the Emir of Ours. the UAE, yeah. Qatar, you know, mm -hmm. Yemen, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Why is the Palestinian problem a Jewish problem? Why is it a state of Israel's problem? It should not be. The reason it is that way is because it is the one thing that the that the rest of the Arab world loves to have as kind of a throw some, you know, throw some fuel on that fire. Let's 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 keep pissing off the Israelis to the degree that we are, right? And now, now though, what has occurred and what we what we see, and this is because I do want to talk about. Uh, uh, the idea of having an objective of survival versus having an objective that is that is uh, unimaginable to most Americans, which is an objective of this idea of I'll just use the word religiosity, right? The idea of of of, of what radicalized Islamist ideology can actually uh, portend for uh, a military goal and a military objective. So. So what we're looking at now is we're looking at the nature of an enemy. It's not just Hamas, you know, some some terrorist group, right? These are very sophisticated uh, organizations with a lot of money, a lot of money. Well funded of, by Qatar and others. I mean, yeah. Well funded, not just by Qatar, but by yeah. other. There's a lot of other people that fund them. There's mm -hmm. money that comes out of the United States of America that flows into sure. the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. You've got Hezbollah. Hezbollah has... If you, if you, for those in your audience that might have even been in the region, I was, you know, in 2006 when, a, when an Israeli soldier was snatched from the northern zone checkpoint by Hezbollah at a, at a, at a, at a check, you know, at a, basically a control point entering in and out of uh, Israel, soldier was, was uh, snatched. And they, we almost went to big war there in 2006 time frame. Well, one of the things that was discovered then was the, was the scale of rocketry that was discovered in a, just a couple of places. So now, now we know that Hezbollah, under a very, uh, a very brutal and a very, but a very qualified leader by the name of Nasrallah, uh, has upwards probably over 100,000 rockets. I mean, 100,000 rockets. So if... If the if Hezbollah wanted to you know rain darkness over Israel and shut down or overwhelm you know the Iron uh, uh, Dome concept of of, uh, of uh, basically air defense security they could do it they could do it in a couple of hours yeah. and 
if you had a coordinated effect, and this is where the, the coordination where a country like Iran is able to coordinate this because Iran does have a headquarters that is operating out of Damascus, out of, out of Syria. And, and, that, that, uh, and, and the Syrians, for those that understand it, it's not a great military, but they, but they have a military. And they have the, uh, the Al, I think it's called the Al-Aqsa Brigade, which is probably mm -hmm. their best brigade. So they have about six, six uh, you know, essentially maneuver brigades, if you will. They're, you know, they're not like, you know, the 82nd Airborne Division or the 3rd Infantry Division, but they're not bad. And they know the terrain, right? Mm -hmm. They know the terrain there. And they certainly would, would fight in a different way because it's their homeland. So now you've got Hezbollah, you've got Hamas, you've got a couple of other organizations. You have these elements in Syria, you have a, a, a command and control element that is, uh, that is a, a Iranian-backed uh, command and control element. You have leaders that are very, very well uh, equipped with experience and knowledge. And one of the things that they discovered in 2006 when they fought, the, when they fought Hezbollah in the north was they discovered that they had secure communications. They have a secure communications capability. So, you know, we're not even sure if we're, you know, when we talk about our, the greatness of our national security agency, which is our big listening post in the sky, we're not sure if we're able to capture all of the communications. When people go, oh, well, our, our guys are so good, we can, we, you know, we're able to listen to everybody. Well, maybe not, maybe mm -hmm. not. So, so the, the war in the uh, Middle East where Israel is all about survival, okay? It's not just about defending the West Bank or defending the Southern Zone or defending the, the Golan Heights. It is about survival as a state. So that's right. Israel's, that's their ultimate goal. That's their sort of 100,000 foot level goal that they have to survive as a state. And they are going to, to do everything that they can to survive as a state. But what they're and they understand this, what they're facing, but, you know, 99.9% .9 of Americans have no clue what I'm, what I'm about to say. What they're facing is they're facing an enemy that doesn't have survival as a goal. In fact, mm -hmm. survival is not something that they don't they don't their idea about life is is an anathema to the way we understand life. Right. The consciousness that we have uh, as Americans, never mind, uh, you know, what, what the Israelis think. So. We're talking about an enemy that sees death as a path to a different life. I mean, you're talking about an enemy like, you know, I, I always say, like, what would possess somebody to put a to strap on a suicide bomb around their, you know, suicide vest around themselves and knowing that, it, you know, it doesn't even take the, 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 the cell phone or the clacker that they got to, to, to have the thing blow up. It could just blow up because they're so damn sensitive. So what what kind of a mentality allows that? What kind of a mentality goes and brutalizes babies, children, beheads people? Nobody, nobody, Todd, is, 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 on, is on tourist trips in Gaza or yeah. in Lebanon or in Damascus. People go on tour tri tourist trips all the time in, in, uh, in Israel. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's a, it's a democracy. You know, they generally, it's a peaceful place. They, you know, they, they, they want to have people come and visit the Holy Land, etc. And you do. If a guy like me or a guy like you went down into Gaza to go on, like, I want to go on a tourist trip down to the Gaza Strip, right? And I started walking down, you know, Main Street, Gaza, you wouldn't make it out of there alive. You know, they would want, they would, you know, you'd be, you know, you're the, you're, you're the proverbial infidel. So, so the mindset 
of the two opposing sides in this case are completely different. And the, that means that the objectives and the use of force and the use of power have to be completely thought about differently. And so if we if we are pushing, which is happening right now, I listened to a little bit of uh, Macron uh, mm -hmm. speech uh, the other day. I guess it was yesterday or maybe it was the day before where he's, you know, now everybody's pushing for a, a you know, peace talks, right? We got a ceasefire. We got to have a ceasefire. We have to have peace talks. Well, if there's a ceasefire and declared Israel lost, they've, yeah. they've lost. So if there's a ceasefire, they've lost. Now I'm not, I am, you know, to back up even before the, 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 my narrative or my missive on, on Ukraine, I am totally against war. I am against these endless wars because guess what, America? And guess what, audience? We get an A-plus for participating. We get an F-minus for winning. We have right. forgotten how to win wars. We haven't won a war since, really, since uh, defeating the Nazis and the, and the imperialist Japanese in World War II. We have not won a war yet, period. End of sentence. Don't tell me about tactical battles and every platoon has won this and and Desert Storm, 100 hours, those weren't wars. Those aren't wars that we're talking about now. We've been in 20 plus years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we've lost them both. We now have, we now have the Iraqi government that we spent, I think, six or seven trillion dollars on. Afghanistan, we spent over six trillion. So we have the Iraqi government now in support of Hamas against the United States of America. Working with Iran. Working yeah. with Iran, and we have, I don't know how many attacks today. I haven't gotten the latest uh, update, but, you know, whatever it was yesterday, it was like over 50 attacks against U.S. forces that are that are uh, operating in uh, principally in Iraq and and, uh, and parts of Syria. You know, I don't know if we've had anybody killed in action yet, but we've had a lot of guys hurt. We've had a lot of people injured. I mean, it's like at a certain point in time, you say to yourself, wow, what is it that we are doing and what is it that we're doing wrong? Well, the principal thing that we're doing wrong is we have the shittiest leadership that we could possibly have leading this country right now. I'm sorry. Sorry. You know, I'm with and, you. And, yeah. And and um, they are they're not incompetent. These are not stupid people, you know. It's uh, intentional. Uh, these are these are people that have, you know, well educated, you know, with all of their Ivy League, you know, you know, frankly, their Ivy League degrees that they can take. And as, as far as I'm concerned, they're they're nothing better than whatever you can find in the circular file these days because of all the things that we've learned about the Ivy League and the and the nonsense that's going on in those schools. But we're talking about people in our State Department and our Department of Defense, frankly, in, in uh, the National Security Council, in our intelligence community, who are actually more pro-Hamas and more pro-Palestine than they are pro-Israel. OK, now. There, and I've because I have I've been I've been back and forth with a lot of Jewish friends in this country, in America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to ask yourself because there's there's a there is a there is a disconnect between the Jewish community in America because there is a lot of a lot of the Jewish community There's a fair number of the Jewish community in this country that is pro left. Yes. Pro Democrat. Right. And they're they're sort of pro woke corporate world. Right. Yeah. All that. And then you have the other element, the other side that is sort of the conservative side that is clearly pro-Israel. So the so the Jewish community, which is a relatively it's a small, small percentage wise and, you know, for the greater numbers that we have in this country. But when you start to look at it, you say to yourself, OK, why would they be anything but pro pro uh, the state of Israel? Why would they not be for the survival of the state of Israel? 
And it's, you know, so there's this, I don't know, it's a form of and what the right word is like dyslexia or something that's that's in this country right now, particularly in, in that in that uh, that uh, demographic. And I think that the country uh, is suffers suffers from because of that, because many of them are in places like in the White House, in our diplomatic corps, in our military uh, that that have uh, that have um, uh, influence and decision making uh, influence for sure. And so when I think about uh, what's happening uh, globally, because we haven't even really talked. I, mean, I don't think I even said China once yet. You know, and China's mm-hmm. the bigger problem. China's yes, the bigger yes. the bigger sort of bear in the room. So I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Um, But when we are making the decisions that we're making... If, if the decision is to go to a ceasefire, which would you know clearly maybe stop the bloodshed, Israel loses, and Israel will find itself in a much much more in a much more difficult place if they go to a ceasefire. Although I guess, and I've seen in the last 24, 48 hours, there are now anti Netanyahu rallies in uh, in Israel, and that's not a good sign. It's not a good sign because if if the outcome is Israel loses then that's not good for the greater uh, the greater good of humanity globally. I'll just I'll leave it at that because there's there's second, third, fourth order effects that uh, that will play out if they, in fact, suffer a major loss, a major defeat. Let me ask you this on Netanyahu. I mean, he he's a questionable figure. And I, I think you have to, in my opinion, bifurcate Netanyahu in Israel because he's made some, I think, bad, poor decisions on the vaccine issue, on supporting President Trump. And this recent security incident on the 7th or, you know, really doesn't make any sense to me. And so I think he has to bear some responsibility for that. When he does that is is up in the air. But I don't think that was a natural, uh, just an accidental breach with, you know, uh, bulldozers and, and hours and hours and hours of preparation and movement into that area. And they didn't see that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I did. a. I, so I was asked, you know, what happened on the mm-hmm. 7th? Right. So that mm-hmm. later that day, a couple hours after I went mm-hmm. on a uh, with another another show. Mm-hmm. And I said at that time. And, I, and it was speculation, and it's still a bit speculative mm-hmm. uh, on my part. Um, I said a couple of things. One, and they and they haven't they haven't been disproven yet. So yeah. uh, the the first thing that Netanyahu should have done was relieved, fired his southern zone commander, and he should have relieved or fired the Israeli Defense Force, uh, basically the Secretary of Defense, yeah. right, the, the IDF chief. He should have fired them both immediately. And whoever was the seconds, bring them up, uh, because that breach of their security. And I have been in, I have been in the towers on the Gaza. I have been in the town of Idrat on the, mm-hmm. which is basically a little town on the 
on the corner, you know, when you look at the map right. there. Yeah, I know I it have, well. Yeah. I've been in Ashkelon. I've walked the streets of Ashkelon. I've been at the at the border uh, control points there where I've stood, you know, with the Israeli soldiers there um, in those spots. And I've I've been through the surveillance um, capability of the Israeli defense forces in that area. And I've done it up in up in the northern zone and, uh, you know, along the southern border of uh, Lesbo, uh, Lebanon. And I've also been in the uh, same same setup uh, up on the Golan Heights to to learn lessons, to look at their capabilities. I've been in, mm -hmm. been in and out of Israel a lot, you know, more than a, probably a couple of dozen times, all in the military. Never been to Israel yeah. as, as as a non as a as a civilian, I guess, um, or as a non-government person. So so all that said, the only way that that breach occurred is if there was a stand down order, meaning stay home, go away. No security, no fire watch, nothing, right? No fire guards at the doors, right? Nothing for a period of time from about from about probably two o'clock in the morning until about eight o'clock, uh, you know, six hours later, eight o'clock in the morning. There, there had to have been literally nobody home. Right. Nobody no watching the monitors. Home. Nobody. Yeah. The, the, the technology. Only way yeah, that, that could have happened because in in uh, in in a security. Uh, uh, zone that you have down there in the southern zone of Israel, you have layers of security. You have, you know, you have not only right. the, the, you know, the, the the electronic and the surveillance, the technical side of the security layer, but you also have the physical side, and you actually have civilians down there that are that are part of that, right? I mean, it's the town of Ashkelon, which is a busy place. So, in order for them to come in and breach what they did, and then hold terrain. And do the kinds of things that they did in the in the towns surrounding the uh, the southern part of Israel. In order for them to do that, I mean, there literally could could not have been any military awake at that time. I just it just yeah. blew it blew me away that that happened. So I I I said that day that he needed to fire those two those two gentlemen immediately to send a message. And maybe later on, if he found out that it was some southern zone commander at a lower level that 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 made those decisions. Okay, then reinstate those guys, and you and you and you bring that person up on charges. But th there was such a breach, and now now that it's not a six day war, and it doesn't look like Israel is gonna you know gonna do what they always done in the in in sixty seven and seventy three, and the, and the way the is you know everybody's always touted the Israeli intelligence, Israeli military have they've always been able to do all these things. They are able to shoot all these missiles out of the sky that are mm -hmm. flying in from. You know Saddam way back in the Desert Shield, Desert Storm time frame, or or Israel, or uh, I'm sorry, or Iran, or some of the missiles that have been fired from Yemen, or some of the stuff that's been fired from Hezbollah, you know, over the years. This is different. This is vastly, vastly different, folks. And the nature of this war is this is a much more conventional war. There is a component of information mm -hmm. that clearly clearly is 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 winning the day for for israel's adversary and frankly for our adversary right here in the united states of america where we've got massive rallies showing up in the streets of america all over this country you know we we're talking about you know i don't know how how true it is but we're talking about you know days of rage and 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 we're, we're we've got we've got threats from from uh, leaders over in the Middle East and different different Arab countries that, frankly, we we've been pouring money into for a long, long time. So yeah. I, I want I want I want people to understand 
and really in your particular your audience because i think that you you have a great way of of carrying uh, uh, a, a great uh, discussion about foreign policy, intel, and defense, and all the mm -hmm. kinds of issues that we deal with. And you got a great audience that follows you and listens to you. I, you know, th this is a different time mm -hmm. that, that we have ever faced. There's no, when somebody goes, well, we've been through this, you know, our Revolutionary War, our Civil War, World War I, World War II. No, there's no precedent for the period of history that we are in right now. None, zero. Okay. People can, we've been, in, we've been challenged before by different elements in our, in our time, you know, and when I say our time, the history of this country, but now we're in a place where, where the, the information component of, of our war that we are facing, particularly here at home, is almost the dominant weapon system. It's like the dominant capability. And we don't know what to believe, right? We don't know whether- So I, true, yes. If so I true. see something online, I see a video, of, I don't know, you know, President Macron of, of France talking. I don't know whether it's artificial intelligence or whether it's him, you know, until until somebody sure. finally says, oh, yeah, no, that was actually him. I mean, and then whoever says that, you kind of go, well, do I believe you? So it's the whole thing. So the information component is a weapon system that is that is expanded in role and in uh, and in capacity and capability. The use of the use of physical weapons to be able to do the things that they need to do in order to dominate physically, you know, the state of Israel, which is which is something where if I if I was to be if I was on their side, if I was on the adversary side, right? So again, you're talking, you're hearing from a guy that always had to put my feet into the boots of our enemies as I briefed our operators on what they should mm -hmm. expect, you know, most likely, most probable, most dangerous courses of action. You know, and this is the way that I think. So if I was on their side and I was the, and I was Iran, I would sit there and I would say, you know what? There's no better time than now to do what we want to do, because the United States of America is in the weakest position it's ever been in. They are overstretched in Europe and they're still, you know, you know, they're still we've poured resources into Europe. We've poured resources into NATO. We've lost upwards of $14 trillion in just the last 20 years in two, two countries, Iraq and Afghanistan. We, we're printing money like it's going out of style. We have a border invasion that's going on where we've had upwards of 10 million people come into our country. Mm -hmm. We can't control our own damn streets. We are in a very weakened position. I don't give a shit what the elections outcome were yesterday, which if you want to talk about those, we can talk about those too. But my my. Uh, if I were in Iran's shoes, if I was in their leadership shoes right now, I'd say there's no better time than to let's get Israel off the map right now. So Hezbollah, Hamas, PIJ, you know, uh, uh, Assad in Syria, you know, let's put as, as much pressure as we can physically, because if they go to a ceasefire, you know, one of the one of the ways if you go to a ceasefire is you want to be in a really, really strong position if, if a ceasefire is finally called. You don't right. want to be with your heels on the, you know, with your on your heels. You want to be on your toes leaning forward in a very strong like stance where you're ready to like say, hey, we're we hold all the cards, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the position that I see happening right now. Uh, and these and these nations that are calling for a ceasefire, guess what? They're not in. They're not in uh, on Israel's side in this. They're on the. They're on the Palestinian side. They're on this, you know, this two-state solution nonsense that uh, that has been espoused for you know for a while now, right? 
And, and so who does this all benefit? Because I do want to mention China. Mm-hmm. This all benefits China, period. Okay, end of sentence. The Chinese One Belt uh, Initiative, uh, you know, their One Belt, One Road Initiative that they've had going on for the better part of two plus decades now, uh, China has, China holds like, you know, they hold like, like 80% of the world's ports right now. They are based out of 80% of the world's best ports. China has, if they, if they want, they have control of the Panama Canal. China yes. has trade agreements with like 75% of the nation states around the world, which equates to almost, almost 75 to 80% of the world's population. China, not the United States, where they are the lead trade partner. Hell, they're the lead trade partner with us. And, and the United States of America, when I just think about the goddamn fentanyl problem, never mind cocaine, methamphetamine, you know, and all the other drugs that are on our streets where our cops have their hands tied behind their back because, because of this, this craziness called defund the police, which actually that, that phrase defund the police comes out of the Bolshevik revolution of the 1920s. Sure it does. Again, Mao so, before that or after that. They're yeah. talking about in, in the last year, just in the last year, we've got close to 200,000 uh, killed killed in action on the streets of America from fentanyl alone. Killed in action, not wounded, not not you know debilitated, killed in action, almost 200,000 in just the last year alone because of Chinese produced and imported through the Mexican drug cartel, uh, you know, and, and imported into, the, into this country through all these illegals. So chemical weapons. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you know, does that because I'm not I'm not like I don't want to be Debbie Downer. Right. Because my life is I'm always kind of like one of these, you know, glass full kind of guys. But we we have got to recognize the the American people. I don't care whether you're Democrat, Republican. I've been both. Right. I've been both. You know, I don't really. You know, what matters to me is is whether or not this country, the United States of America, can survive, if our Constitution can survive the onslaught of socialism and communism that is, in fact, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the body of America. And it just, you know, it didn't happen because Donald Trump showed up. It happened, it's been happening, Christ, for, for 50 years, if not 100, but definitely yeah. for a long, long time. The, 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 what, what you needed, though, was you needed a, an opportunity to be able to really grab hold of key leadership and key nodes of our system of government. And they have that. They definitely have that. And it was probably probably got exacerbated in, you know, in the last 20, probably maybe 30 years with different uh, presidents. And, 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 and I, I look at I look at some of them like, you know, people go, well, he's talking about Obama or he's talking about, the, you know, Bill Clinton. I'm also talking about. George Bush, okay, sure. and some of the foolish decisions that we had, like the the the, the very horrific decision to go into Iraq and in, in uh, when we yeah. went into Iraq for for weapons of mass destruction, the very famous Colin Powell sitting with the CIA directors, you know, sitting behind him at the United Nations and saying we can't, you know, we can't allow this basically to happen. We got to got to go get these weapons of mass destruction. That was a lie. That was yeah. A it was lie. all theater. It's all theater. Yeah. So anyway. We, we have got to correct ourselves and how we correct ourselves is we do it. And I, I, you know, I do believe this, that we can correct it at the local level. That means that yep. American citizens have to become citizens again. We have to stop being complacent, stop being lazy. Now, I will, I will say 
about yesterday's outcome of, of the elections in the, in the country, because there was whatever, 11 states or so that had various forms of elections. You know that the turnout, and, I, and I did, these, are, these are early numbers, because I, I look at this, and I'll look at this stat, and this is early, these are early numbers, but the turnout, it looks like the turnout in the, you know, for the country, for all these elections that occurred yesterday, the turnout is less than 40%. In some wow. places, it's less than 35%. That means registered voters, registered voters on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, primarily, those are the two main parties. But we're looking at that are registered to vote that actually voted yesterday or, or voted in the, in the mail-in ballot uh, component of, uh, of the, what, what happens now. It's around 35%. That you can't, we can't have a country, and that's been that way for a long time, Todd. And yeah. so if we have that, then all the things that are happening overseas, well, and all the all the negative things that I outlined that's happening here in this country, we only have ourselves to blame. Instead of bitching about uh, the the you know the, those in Washington, DC, who frankly we voted for, we put them there. You know, the governors, the state legislatures, if you don't show up to vote, because that's my first question when I do talk to a lot of people, I always say, did you vote? You know, where, do you, where are you from? I'm from, you know, Kentucky or Mississippi mm -hmm. or wherever or, or Florida. Where are you from? When was the last time you voted? Well, I don't vote because those they're all those bastards are all corrupt. Well, I kind of say to them, well, you know what, then I don't I'm not going to take your question. How's that? I because completely agree. You're not completely participating agree. in this conversation because you don't participate as a as a citizen in this country. So anyway, that's kind of my, my, let me, uh, let me take you. I'm on the, I know you're a, a you're a, yeah. you're a rec, you're a rec chairman in, in which County in Florida? In, in Sarasota. I'm not the rec chairman. I'm on the, I'm on the Republican executive committee. Okay. I'm on the Miami Dade rec in, in Miami. Dude. So we have a, uh, a real problem in Florida with just kind of an obscure obfuscation from the, the, the statewide party from allowing exactly what you're saying to happen. So how do we fix that in the great state of Florida? Well, I wish, you know, I, when, when, uh, when Ron DeSantis ran for governor mm -hmm. and he said, I'm not going to worry about running for president. I'm going to, I'm going to be a, the great, you know, I'm going to be the best governor I can be. And then he gave that up, right? He lied. He basically mm -hmm. lied. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't intentional at the time, but now Ron, it's, it's a lie. It's pretty so yeah. We, we need, yeah, we need, we need leaders from the top, and the governor of a state, like the president of the United States, they, we only have one of those, right? And that executive power gives them a lot of authority to be able to do different things. The GOP chair for the state of Florida is a guy by the name of Ziegler. Mm -hmm. I actually, I've met him. I, I've, you know, I, I can't say that I know him well, but I've met him. And to me, he's a lot of talk. He's a lot of hot air. And he's somebody who could actually, you know, to look at like Miami-Dade or look at Sarasota or some of the other counties that we have, and say, hey, we got to fix these things. You know, there's a lot of we have a lot of voting problems. We have a lot of election problems. I mean, the, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking here where I'm at. We were talking about our uh, the election uh, uh, county election commissioner here in Sarasota is now the I guess he's the he's the state uh, rep for the for the uh, for the all the county the 67 counties in Florida uh, election commissioners here. The you know plural, and so there's a lot of things that we need to do to fix that. I wish that we could get a, a governor, and frankly, most states, that I wish we could get a governor that just decided to be a governor and didn't have somebody whisper in their ear once they've won the governorship and said, oh, you can, you can be president. You can Get be president. Get lots of money. <laughs> right, right. 
and and then they stop, right? They stop yeah. and they stop being a leader for the state. You know, if you're a really effective governor in a state, and I mean really, really effective, and you you really hone in on on the kinds of things that people care about, the grassroots issues. Trust me, if you later on in your life you want to run for president, the the people in your state will back you. The people in the state of Florida, they're not. I mean, they're not going to back Ron DeSantis for no, for he's president. Destroyed his career. He's destroyed. He destroyed it the night he, that the night that he announced for presidency, because a lot of people in this state went, "Well, wait a second. I thought you were going to be our governor. Now you're up in New Hampshire and Iowa, and, yeah. and guess what? We have a we have the mayor of Jacksonville now is now a Democrat. Was it was a was a um, was a, a Republican? This is only a couple of months ago. The voter turnout for that for that election, if I remember the number right, it was like it was like twenty percent voter turnout. Yeah, and I don't think Ron DeSantis went up there one time to champion for the for the Republican running for mayor. So that guess what, you lost. And now Jacksonville's right. a great city, and you know, it's stuff like of, that. Speaking of Ziegler, I, I filed. We filed my a group of us filed a forty-page grievance in March, and we haven't even gotten an email yet saying they received it. So you know, it's 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 a big, big, big problem with the RPOF. We can talk about that another time. And you've given yeah. me forty-five minutes, so I really <laughs> appreciate it. And uh, Thank you, General, and hope to see you around the, the great state of Florida. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out, Todd, and, and thanks to you and your audience, your great audience. And uh, I wish everybody a uh, upcoming veteran, you know, happy Veterans Day. And uh, for all the veterans and all those serving in our armed forces, uh, we really do appreciate everything that you do and uh, the sacrifices that you give on a daily basis. So God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Take care.